Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Today, I have the honor of sharing a special one-time message on this Palm Sunday. I'm really excited about it. I want to take a look at a scripture. It's John chapter 6, verse 35. This is going to be our anchor text for the day. You know, Jesus goes by so many names and so many titles. You can find them all throughout the Bible. But there's one in particular that I want to take a look at today. It's found in John chapter 6, verse 35. Let's read this together. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I love this statement that Jesus makes. And he makes this statement in a world that will try to tell us that there are all kinds of different ways to be satisfied, all kinds of different things in this world that can fulfill us. But Jesus is making a bold declaration when he says, I am the bread of life. He's saying, hey, no, 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 there's not a person, there's not a pill, there's not a car, there's not a house, there's not an experience. There is nothing in this world that can satisfy the holy hunger that you have deep inside of your soul the way I can, Jesus, the bread of life. And so today I want to take a look at Jesus, the bread of life, and you can find this all throughout the scriptures. You can find it in the Old Testament. You can find it in the New. It's this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. Jesus makes a pretty bold statement even as he comes onto the scene in the town of Bethlehem. I went most of my life not knowing this, but Bethlehem literally translates to house of bread. You guessed it. And this is cool. As an Italian, I love this. Jesus is born in the house of bread, and then they place him in a manger, and that comes from the same Latin root word as manja, and that means eat up. And so Jesus is making this bold statement to us, even as he enters into the world as a child, that I am the only one that can satisfy your hunger. I am the bread of life. And so here's what I wanna do. I just wanna take you through three things that you need to know about Jesus, the bread of life. At every campus, I'm going to invite you, grab something to take notes with, write these down, write down what stands out to you. I believe God's going to share something that will encourage you and inspire you, maybe challenge you a little bit today. I want to jump right in. Here's the first thing you need to know about Jesus, the bread of life. Number one, keep it fresh because the best bread is fresh bread. I don't know about you, but I just love, I love bread. Just confession in the house of God today. I might love it a little too much, okay? I love bread. And um, I love it in all shapes and forms, but I especially love it when it's fresh. Can I get an amen? Like, I could just go to a bakery and just sit there and just smell the bread. That's really all I need. And unfortunately, I'm convinced that I can gain weight while smelling bread now. Like, all it takes is just to walk by Cinnabon, just walk by Panera, and I have gained five pounds. Haven't figured that out, but I'm pretty sure it's true. I love driving by the Schwabels factory. Can anybody give me an amen? Like, oh, the heavenly aroma of the Schwabels factory. I've thought about applying there just so I could smell the bread every day. That's how much I love fresh bread. I was thinking about this. When I was a kid, I used to get to go to my great-grandparents' apartment. This is where my mom and her sister were born, and they spent the first few years of their life on Taylor Street, which is Little Italy in downtown Chicago. And it's a beautiful place. It's this old apartment building that has been kept in the family for years and years, still in our family to this day. And I remember walking up the rickety old apartment steps 
And before we ever even got to the room, I could smell that heavenly aroma lofting through the air. It brings me back to my childhood. It was just some of the best bread, some of the best pizza, some of the best food we've ever had. Now, all of my grandparents were amazing bakers. My grandma Jean, an amazing baker. My grandma Caminetti, I always think of her at Easter time because she used to make the most heavenly Easter bread you have ever had. And to this day, if my mom makes the recipe, it brings me right back to childhood. And I just love fresh bread. There's something about it. And I want you to hear this at every campus. This is what we're talking about today. I want you to know that you were designed to have a daily fresh encounter with Jesus. You were designed to have a fresh encounter with him every day. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray what? God, would you give me this day my daily bread? God wants you to have a fresh encounter with him. And you can see this in the Old Testament in some really cool ways. There's a beautiful picture of this when Moses is with God's people and they're wandering through the wilderness and they're beginning to worry, how are we going to, how are we going to survive? We don't have anything to eat. And God provides for them in this miraculous way. He feeds them over 3 million people. A 40-year period of time, he feeds them primarily in two ways, through quail and through manna, bread from heaven. Now, this is a passage that explains it and describes what happened. Psalm 78, 24. It says, he rained down showers of manna to eat, and he gave them the bread of heaven. I want you to think about this like the Israeli news reporters every morning, cloudy with a chance of manna. Like every morning, this is what happened every single day that they lived in the wilderness. God would provide for them through this miraculous bread from heaven called manna. They ate the bread of the mighty angels. And I like this. He sent them all the food they could eat. Time out. I love that we serve an all-you-can-eat God. I love that even when we're going through economic crisis and and inflation is sky high. You have to take out a small loan just to get gas at the pumps. Like, I love that we serve an all-you-can-eat God, that even when there's wars and rumors of wars going on, that God is still our provider. He's still Jehovah Jireh. He looks out for us. He can make a lot out of a little. He's a God who is more than enough. And so one of the things that they do to describe manna, they tell us what it actually tasted like in the Bible. They say it tasted like honey wafers. It was sweet. So it was, it was honey wafers and it was the bread of angels. So in my book, this is the first documented sighting of angel food cake. That's just how I see it. That's the New International Joe version. I don't know if that's true, but, but I love this because here's what it says, that even in a desert, God can bring you dessert. Like even when you're going through some really difficult times and it seems like there's no way God could provide for you. No, God is enough. And he wants us to have a daily fresh encounter with him. Now, here's what's interesting. Moses, when he goes to tell the people of God what God is gonna do through this gift called manna, he gives them some instructions. And the first thing he does is he says, hey, you're gonna get all you can eat. You can gather as much as you want every day. But then he says, there's one catch. I wanna read this together. This is verse 20. He said, I only want you to keep today's manna for today. Verse 20 says, but some of them did not listen to Moses and they saved part of it. And the next morning, it was full of worms and smelled rotten, and Moses was angry with them. In other words, God says, don't live on leftovers, and if you do, the manna that was fresh today, tomorrow, it's going to be moldy manna. Don't live on the leftovers. I got to thinking about this. I wonder how many Christians 
that love God and are on their way to heaven, by the way, but I wonder how many Christians are living on leftovers, just kind of clinging to an encounter or an experience we had with God in the rearview mirror, just kind of looking back at the last time we felt close to God on our missions trip or at a conference or at a worship night or summer camp, at a service a long time ago. How many of us are living on leftovers? And I tell you that the best bread is fresh bread, that God wants us to have a daily fresh encounter with him. Did you know that God wants to speak something to you right now? He has something to say that is fresh from his word that applies to your life right this second, right this minute. He, he wants you to have a fresh insight on how to have a healthy marriage. He wants to do a fresh thing in your parenting. He wants to do a fresh thing in your finances. He wants to do a fresh thing in the way that you see him when you crack open your Bible in the morning. He wants it to be special and fresh and new every day. Give us this day our daily bread. Now I have to wonder, why did God choose to do it this way? Like, let's think about this. He's God. So could he have made it so that the manna came one time and it was good the rest of the week? Yeah, he for sure could have. He could have snapped his fingers and he could have said, this manna will last forever. It will never go bad. No, but he said, I want you to collect it one day at a time. And I, I really believe this is an exercise in trust because I, I, I think it's, this, this is my perspective. I think God did not want them to get dependent on their ability to save it and to hoard it. He wanted them to be dependent on his ability to provide it. He, he wanted us as followers of Jesus every day to wake up and say, God, I'm gonna seek you out. I wanna have a fresh experience with a living God. It's an exercise in trust. And I love that every time we decide to trust God, God is faithful. The Bible says that I've never seen the righteous forsaken and what? And I've never seen his seed begging for bread. And so there's a confidence we can have when we say, God, you are first in my life. You have every part of me and every day I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna seek you out. I love the scripture in Matthew 6, it says, seek first the kingdom of God. And it reminds me of what God did through the time of day that he would give the manna. He didn't give the manna at lunchtime. He didn't give the manna at nighttime. Manna always came in the morning. And I think what God is trying to say is, hey, every morning, can you just wake up and get a fresh glimpse of who I am? Can you just wake up and crack open your Bible and say, God, I'm ready for you to speak to me today. I know you have things specifically that you wanna do in my life today so that I can go and be a light in the world you're calling me to. So we wanna seek a fresh encounter with him every day. And manna makes me put God first. And I love that he didn't, listen, let's think about this. He's got, he could have door dashed it to every one of their tents. There's millions of people. Can you imagine the chaos of all those people every morning going out to gather the manna? No, but he made it so they would have to seek out his daily provision. They would have to trust him. And so this is what God does. And I love that it says, seek God, because I don't know about you, but in my life, all that I have to do to drift is absolutely nothing. I am always drifting away from God and I have to make a conscious effort and a conscious decision to seek him. This is why the Bible says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Jensen Franklin's one of my favorite preachers and we were going through uh, our fasting group this year we were reading this book called The Fasting Edge. I can't recommend this book enough. It's amazing. And he made this statement that rocked me when I read it. He said, one of the first signs of sickness in our life is a loss of hunger. Think about that. 
And could it be that even in our relationship with God, that one of the first signs of spiritual sickness in our life is when we lose that holy hunger for God's presence, when we lose that desire to just keep coming back and getting more. And here's the good news. If you feel like you fall into that category, the good news is all that it takes is an adjustment in your heart and just saying, God, I just wanna experience you in a new and a fresh way. So that's point number one, keep it fresh because the best bread is fresh bread. Here's number two, don't change the recipe. Number two, don't change the recipe. There was this interesting time in Victorian England. I was watching a documentary and learning all about this. It spanned from the year 1800 to the year 1900. And during this time, there was a revolution in industry. And so there were all of these different innovations that were happening. And consequently, in a very short amount of time, like in a matter of decades, cities like London went from like tens of thousands of people to millions of people. And so that was really cool, but it came with this challenge. There were way more mouths to feed. And so some of the processing techniques that we have today were actually birthed during this time in London, which was cool. But it came with some not so good things as well. Like one of the things that happened is the quality of the food really went down so that they could produce more quantity. And so everything was mass produced and the goal, it became how can we feed the most people for the cheapest amount of money? And out of this era came this really dark period in history called the era of food adulteration. And if you ever wanna Google it, there's some crazy stuff that they would put in the food so that they could make it more desirable, so they could make it stretch and go longer and feed more people. So mass production and mass consumption made them cheapen the ingredients. I'll give you a couple of examples. One of them, they just in order to make the bread look more palatable, they really liked the color white back then. They wanted bread to look very white. And so they used to put ingredients like chalk in the bread, iron sulfate, plaster of Paris. This is like real stuff they were putting in the bread so that they could make it stretch and go further and so that it could look more desirable. They even put something called alum in the bread, and this is a common ingredient in detergent. This was like the first ever Tide Pod challenge, guys. Like this is <laughs> happening in the 1800s in England. And here's the scary thing. Lots of well-meaning people, like people that really loved their kids, they were feeding their families this poisonous bread, thinking it was good for them. And they looked healthy on the outside, but they were dying of malnutrition on the inside. And so there's entire generations that are growing up malnourished, but get this, many people in that day, as a matter of fact, the majority suffered from a condition called gastritis because all of that stuff that was in the bread couldn't be processed naturally by the body. And so it just sat there and slowly killed them. And ultimately gastritis led to death. And as I was listening to this documentary, I'm thinking, man, I have to wonder if maybe we do this with the bread of life sometimes. Like, could it be that we are out of maybe convenience, maybe even out of the motive of trying to help more people know about Jesus, mass producing, mass feeding the gospel to a hungry generation? Maybe we are changing the recipe in our relationship with God. I'll just break it down into a couple of categories and see if this resonates with you. I wonder if maybe, especially in America, I'm not saying this is in Believer's Church in particular, but this is just something that all of us could drift to if we're not careful. 
Maybe in an effort to make the message more palatable, more consumable, we find ourselves increasingly uncomfortable with difficult topics in the Bible. And so we dodge the difficult questions and the difficult subjects, and we love messages on grace, and we love messages on on love. And by the way, those are valid. I want to say that. But we preach those messages to the neglect of things that are also in the Bible, like character, purity, righteousness, holiness, things that equally matter to God. And so it becomes something like Jesus minus truth. And this is problematic because Jesus said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth is what sets us free. So if we are serving up a Jesus, the bread of life minus truth, that isn't Jesus at all. And people are not able to be set free. I love what this scripture says. This is Proverbs 30, verse five through six. Every word of God proves true. Think about that. Every word, Joe, like even the ones that make me uncomfortable, yeah. Even the ones that are awkward, for sure. Even the ones that are politically incorrect, those two. Like even the pieces of bread that get stuck in my throat on the way down, all of them are the word of God. They're all true. It goes on to say, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Listen, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Aren't you glad you came to Believer's Church this morning? Amen. The Bible says that all scripture is God-breathed. And listen, and God never has bad breath. Everything that he speaks, every word that comes out of his mouth holds true. We have to be careful not to add to the recipe or to take it away. There was a mom who had some kids and they came to her and they said, mom, we really wanna watch this movie. And like any mom, her mom meter started going up and she's like, all right, there's something off about this. I've heard about this movie, it has some parts. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But mom, we know exactly where those parts are. We read the review and we know where we can fast forward and we'll search during this scene and we'll go to the bathroom during this other scene. And she's like, she says something that shocks them. She says, okay. And then to sweeten the deal, she says, I'm gonna make you some brownies before you watch the movie. And so the kids are like, score, mom is in a good mood today. And so they go to start playing and they, they smell the brownies starting to loft into the room where they're playing. And she calls them in and she's like, all right, boys, I'm ready for you to watch the movie. But before you do it, why don't you try these brownies? So they all grab a brownie and then she says, hold on. Now, before you eat these brownies, I have to tell you about something. There is one ingredient that I added to these brownies that's a little different than a typical brownie. And they're like, okay, what is it? And she's like, well, it's locally sourced from our backyard. It's natural. She said, I just put a little, like just a tiny bit, just a little teensy bit of doggy doo-doo in the brownies. (laughs) Gives a whole new meaning to double fudge brownies, doesn't it? I went there. And so they said, oh, mom, gross, no. There's no way we're eating that. And she's like, hold on, you wouldn't even taste it. I barely changed the recipe at all. It's just a tiny little bit of doggy doo-doo. And they said, mom, there is no way we will eat that because even just a little bit of dog poop in the brownies makes it a dog poop brownie. (laughs) Can I tell you something? I believe that God is raising up a remnant of people in Believer's Church and in God's church globally that says, hey, the original recipe is all we need and God's word diluted might as well be God's word polluted and I'm sticking to the main recipe. Jesus is enough. 
It's not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus minus. It's just Jesus. First Corinthians 5, 6 says, a little yeast leavens the whole batch. So sometimes even the smallest things that we allow to get into the mix of our life, into the recipe of our relationship with God, it leads to food adulteration. And I pray that we would not be a generation that looks healthy on the outside, but is dying on the inside. I pray that we would have the bread of life in its truest form, not Jesus plus, not Jesus minus. Now, let me talk to one other category of people, all right? I'm gonna talk to like the Christians in the place, people that are watching, and you're like extra saved. You know what I mean? Like you've been saved a long time. You're extra paper Bible saved. You only eat Christian chicken at Chick-fil-A. I don't know, I'm just, I'm just trying to make the point. You know Jesus and you've known him a long time, all right? So maybe in our frustration, and by the way, I can fall into this category way more than the first. Maybe in our frustration with where our culture is, we can tend to emphasize standing up for our faith and defending our faith. And we have kind of this aggressive posture. We love to give our opinion of how we think about every topic on social media and online. And I wanna say this, it's valid to defend your faith and the truth matters. We've just talked about that. But sometimes we love the truth so much that we forget to love people in the process. And so if we're not careful, maybe in our love for the truth and our passion for making things right, then it becomes Jesus plus performance or Jesus plus works or Jesus plus religious activity. And that's not Jesus either. I love what Galatians 1.6 says. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and listen, are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. I love what Chris Hodges says. He says, truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. Gotta have both. We have to have both sides of Jesus' nature and his attribute. I just want you at every campus online, can you just turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is enough? All right, now this time you have, to, you have to mean it when you say it, all right? Ready, one, two, three. Jesus is enough. Beautiful. Jesus is enough. It's not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus minus. We wanna to stick to the original recipe in our relationship with him. Here's number three. This is the third and final thing you need to know about the bread of life. Bread is best when it's shared with others. Bread is best when it's shared with others. One of the things that you find in just about any chapter that you read in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, is this love for gathering in community and breaking bread together. They did life together. I mean, daily, they were in the temple courts or they were in houses, meeting, worshiping, praying together, breaking bread together. Sometimes they were breaking bread with communion. Sometimes they were breaking bread and eating, but they were always breaking bread together. And the one thing that you also see is that it wasn't just enough for God and his people to break bread together, the natural progression, once they encountered the bread of life and were satisfied and filled with the bread of life, was to turn around and bring that bread to a broken world that needed it too. This, this is how God's kingdom works. I, I was thinking about one of my favorite restaurants locally. There's, there's one kind of near Boardman, but I, I've never been there, so I can't speak to that one, but I grew up in Howland, and right down the street from me is one of my favorite Italian restaurants, 
Anybody in here a fan of Salvatore's? Anybody with me on that? Now, my favorite thing about Salvatore's, they have great food, but one of my favorite things about Salvatore's is what they bring you for a starter. You know what I'm gonna say? It's pizza bread, baby. Like there's something so amazing about pizza bread. Now, if you've never had the joy of experiencing pizza bread, let me describe it to you. And don't judge me for how in-depth I describe this amazing delicacy. Pizza bread always comes out fresh. It's got this beautiful buttery crust, oven-baked, beautiful on the bottom. But then it has this amazing doughy texture on the top. And there's this incredible sauce that goes on top of it and it soaks into the buttery, warm, crusty bread. Is anybody hungry in the house of God right now? Not a sponsor, but, but could be. Talk to me, Salvatore. All right. But you know what's funny? The very first time I almost ordered some and brought it here so I could just make you crave it even more. But every time that I go to Salvatore's, it changes my life. And I remember the first time, I remember the first time I left there and I became an evangelist for Salvatore's. I mean, everywhere I went, we weren't even talking about food. I'm like, have you tried Salvatore's pizza bread? It could change your life today. There's something about when you experience something that is different, you can't help but share it with other people. It reminds me of this amazing quote from Dr. T. Niles. He says, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Can I tell you, this is the experience that every person that has met Jesus, the bread of life, this is what they've experienced. Because it's not enough just to consume the bread of life. It's not enough just to be filled with the bread of life. But then Jesus is saying, would you bring this bread to a broken world? You know, it's funny, whenever I go to Salvatore's, one thing I can guarantee you is people will know I've been to Salvatore's for the rest of the day. That aroma gets on you and it gets on your clothes. It gets in your breath. Hello, how are you doing today? It's so good to see you. They'll, they'll ask you, what is that heavenly aroma I detect? Is that a new fragrance? Yeah, it's a new scent called Salvatore's garlic. It gets on you, right? Like this is, this is what happens with all of us. I love what 2 Corinthians 2.14 says. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us, listen, to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. We're called to be filled with this bread of life and spread the bread everywhere we can. And so today I wanna end with a story. And this is probably a story that you've heard on one level or another but I want to tell you the story behind the story. I think many of us are familiar with the story of the Titanic and horrible tragedy. One of the, the little known things about the Titanic is that there were not enough lifeboats on the Titanic. And so a good number of people that needed to be rescued couldn't. But then there was a problem beneath that problem because that night when they struck the iceberg, and they began to realize that this ship is going down, this unsinkable ship. It took a really long time for it to sink into the depths of the ocean. As a matter of fact, it took over three hours. And so there was what they call the second disaster of the Titanic. In the first hour, as people were loading onto the lifeboats, later they looked back at the logs of how many people were on each of those lifeboats. 
and the average lifeboat had the capacity to hold 70 people. And get this, when they looked at the average capacity of how many they actually filled in the first hour, there were only 13 to 30 people on every one of those lifeboats. And get this, only one lifeboat turned around after people had left and went back to rescue other people. Only one. And so they, they tried to figure out what, what was going on psychologically and there were a lot of fears that were probably there. But the best thing that they can reasonably deduce is that they were rowing away, perfectly content that they had been saved themselves, not willing to risk it and row back and rescue other people. Now, there was a man on the Titanic and his name was John Harper. John was a Scottish minister who was only 39 years old. Phenomenal preacher, was actually on his way to Chicago. He had preached there before at the Moody Church, Dwight L. Moody's church. And there's speculation that he was one day going to take over that church. And so he was going back there for a long-term preaching residency. He almost went on another boat, but decided I wanna go on the Titanic's maiden voyage. And so he waited one week longer. They're gonna show you a picture of him with his daughter, Jesse. He's with his daughter on this boat. And when they hit the iceberg and he starts to realize that this ship is going down, he makes this peculiar and very selfless decision. He gathers his daughter who was sleeping in their cabin. He puts a life preserver on her and he places her in the boat. He says, I love you, never knowing if he's ever gonna see her again and trust her to the care of other people. And then he does something else. He takes his life preserver off and he gives it to someone else because he says, if I were to die tonight, I know where I'm going, but who knows how many people on this boat have never met Jesus. And so historical records tell us, people who were eyewitnesses on the scene, that he began to run up and down the boat in the cabins and he would hit every door he could and he would frantically tell them the, the boat is sinking, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. As many people as he could, he told them about Jesus. Hours begin to pass by and the boat is almost to the point where everyone has to jump off and he ends up on a piece of driftwood in the water. And accounts tell us that to his dying breath, he shouted the gospel, told people, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Well, fast forward a year, there was this gathering with people who were survivors of the Titanic. They're at this church in Canada and there's this young man named William. He was 19 at the time the Titanic went down. William worked on the boat. William was telling the story of this man that he met in the water the night that he thought he would die. He said, I was floating on some driftwood and as fate would have it, this man named John Harper, a minister floated near me and he asked me this question that bothered me because I had never heard it before. He said, have you called upon Jesus as your Lord? And before he could even respond, the waves took him away. And he had these moments that seemed like the longest moments in eternity where he just pondered the question and he said, I don't know the answer. And as providence would have it, a wave brought John back to William. And he asked him again, have you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved? And this time William said, I have not. Can you tell me how I can be saved? And that night, as the ship is sinking all around them in the darkness, in the cold, William prays the sinner's prayer. 
gives his heart to Jesus, just moments later, John sinks down into eternity. And get this, the one rescue boat that came back for anybody finds William floating in the water. He went on to share this with people for the rest of his life, that he was John Harper's final convert. And he said, I was saved twice that night, once by the rescue boat and once by John Harper. Can I tell you something? There are two different versions of Christianity. There are the people that have been saved and they're perfectly content with the fact that they've been saved and they row away unconcerned about the people that are drowning and on their way to a place called hell. And then there are the John Harpers and they are the people that are not content with just being saved themselves, but they row back to reach and rescue people who are far from God. They say, I have encountered the bread of life and it's changed me and I have to tell somebody about it. I have to bring this bread to a broken world. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and we're just gonna have a final moment of prayer. The coolest part of this story is I was preparing. I started looking at the date when this happened and get this, the Titanic set off on its maiden voyage 110 years ago to this day. How cool is that? And as they were sinking, we will come to the 110th anniversary of the sinking on Good Friday this week. So my prayer is just in some small way that this would, this would bother us, that this would bug us, that there are people that are in need of the hope that we have. May it never be said about Believer's Church that we are just content with and satisfied with the fact that we've been saved, but may we be a church that runs in the direction of people who are lost, runs after the one. And I wanna invite two different groups of people to take a next step today. One, if you can't remember a moment in your life where you could answer the question that John Harper asked William, I wanna ask it to you. Have you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved? Can you remember a moment where you gave Jesus the Lordship of your life, where you said, Jesus, I acknowledge you as God, but I also acknowledge you as Lord. You can take the wheel. You can sit in the driver's seat. If you can't remember a moment in your life, not when you were baptized or had your first communion or when you had good church attendance or your good works outweighed your bad, those are all great things, but none of those things in and of themselves can save you. Only Jesus can save you. Only the bread of life can fulfill you. So I'm gonna lead all of us in a prayer at every campus, online. For everyone that's prayed that prayer already, can you pray this with us? And I really believe a miracle is gonna take place. We can have a confidence that if we were to die today, God forbid, we would know where we were headed. We're headed to a place called heaven, rescued from an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And God is not willing that one would perish, but that all would receive everlasting life. Can you pray this with me? Say this out loud in every church environment that is listening right now. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your son who set me free who rescued me even when I didn't deserve it. Thank you, Jesus, that you hung on a cross and took the punishment for my sin, became sin so that I could become right with you. I won't be perfect, but every day from here on, I'll follow you with my life. 
I am a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.